The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I called the show today, What the World Needs Now is a Heartwarming Story. And uh, that pretty much (laughs) these days could go for any day. Um, because uh, because the world is getting scarier and there's bad news all the time and and uh, in outside in the world and inside our, you know, in our homes uh, it just seems to be getting harder and harder and the question is I'm sure that a lot of us ask ourselves every day when we wake up how do we find the courage to go on so. Um, I'll tell you about today's guest and introduce her in a minute, but I must say beforehand, I have a confession that um, I was, I've been really busy, you know, with my, the promotion of my new book, Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets, as well as doing my, all the usual things that I do. And, um, and yesterday I just taped the Dr. Phil show that's going to be airing sometime in February about this topic, about the book, Bad Girls. It was really um, cool, really exciting, really fun. And, um, and so, okay, so I've been, had a lot on my plate, and I was thinking, well, you know, Debbie, is, Debbie can tell her story. My guest is Debbie Tibbles, and she, she can tell her story. Um, you know, I, I don't need to read the book. I'll read the first chapter and the last chapter. <laughs> And she can fill it in because I just don't have time. I'm overwhelmed with all the stuff that I have to catch up on. Well, I sat down this morning to just read the first chapter. The book is called All Aboard, How Ollie Tibbles Became a Train. And I literally could not put it down. I have not done one thing on my to-do list this morning because I have been captivated by this book and I don't regret it for a second because it's very special and the feelings well, I was crying <laughs> crying from the middle to the end um, but the the what Debbie says in the book and the feelings that it evokes are indeed very special and um, so it's with that sort of preface <laughs> that I will introduce Debbie Tibbles Debbie welcome to the show well, hello there, and thank you very much, Carol. <laughs> and I'm laughing at you. Uh, uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for, for having me this afternoon and being on your show. Um, I'm very excited and, uh, and have a confession to make in that uh, I have been past your book, Bad Girls, <laughs> Why Men Love Them and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. And two things. I, first of all, I love the picture on the front. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And second, I have not had an opportunity to read it yet, yet I am going to. Um, 
actually, after we get off the phone. <laughs> and um, I, love, I love your truth and that you're saying, you know, that you really were not going to uh, read the book and you were going to be a skipper. Um, <laughs> well, I, I was just feeling anyway. incredibly pressured today. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yes, I, um, I, I just said the hell with everything else <laughs> and I just kept reading. Um, why don't we, let's see, I... I I mean, I guess we should start with, um, you know, oftentimes I'll ask people why, you know, I put them on my couch and I ask them why they wrote whatever it is that they wrote. And sometimes, you know, it's not quite obvious um, how someone got into whatever whatever topic it is. Um, yours, uh, you know, yours um, yeah. is a little more uh, um, understandable. Um, so I don't know, I mean... <laughs> whether you would like to start with what made you write the book or or really that's kind of getting ahead of ourselves and why don't you why don't you tell the story chronologically as to as you do in the book um as to ha- this whole journey this this uh train ride so to speak that has put you where you are today has delivered you to this destination well i love the analogy thank you yes and and it it is kind of a difficult story to relate, and I understand that where you're going when you say, you know, sometimes you would say, well, you know, what what prompted you to uh, write this book and all of that? And this, this one is kind of difficult to explain because of the way in which that happened. And, of course, you've read it, so you, you, you already know. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I would have been of the same because... I was not somebody that ever thought that I would be writing a book, never imagined that I would become a writer or that I would be speaking publicly or um, standing in front of an audience. Uh, You know, this was not how I imagined my life to be. And I think really if we go back to how it truly all began, it would be when, um, you know, I'm a mother of three children. Ollie was my my youngest child. And... um, when he was four years old, I asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up, which is a question, as we know, most parents ask their children. And he, uh, you know, he's always had this, he's always had this passion for trains. I mean, my son loved trains, collected all kinds of train magazines and books, even before he could read. You know, had all the pajamas, all the matching mm. sets, and everything like that. And of course, huge fan of Thomas the Tank Engine, and um, so. When I asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up, he said he was going to be a train. Well, you know, I thought he got that completely wrong, you know, thinking as, as a mother that I know it all, and of course was proved wrong in the end um, by my child. But he said, he looked at me like I had two heads, and, and he said, no, mummy. He said, I'm going to, because I thought he was going to be a train driver. I said, you mean you want to be a train driver? And he said, no, mummy, I'm going to be a train, and I will be one day. And, you know, so we had a good old laugh about that and kind of put it to bed, and and that was that. And we went on with our lives, and and that was all good. Well, then um, what happened uh, almost a year later, um, Oliver was diagnosed with an incurable brain tumor, and, you know, our lives were thrown into chaos, you know, literally like a freight train had hit the whole family, and and we were just, you know, we were just devastated and uh, sent into a state of confusion and... um, just this whole roller coaster of of, of uh, therapies and treatments, and our whole lives just changed drastically. And um, 
to cut a long story short. Well, let's not cut. <laughs> we have a whole hour, so let's I, not cut I, it well, too short. I'm because thinking, you're, you're kind yeah. of, I mean, one of the things, um, you know, that struck me when in the beginning of the book, when you start telling, well, the way the story started, is that you were called into school because Ollie had a headache. And, yes. you know, you said you had, I think, a hair appointment, and yep. you were kind of annoyed that, I mean, mm-hmm. of course, you wanted to be there for your son, but it's like, oh, yeah. a headache, you know. And you said you had had migraines when you were uh, a little girl, so you didn't really yep. think much of it, which no. is kind of, you know, when you, of course, when you look back, I mean, there are so many things that we experience, that we all experience, um, and we think it's just sort of an inconvenience, or we think it's something that's, not going to have important repercussions in our life. Oh, we have to do that or go there or, you know, whatever it is. And then right. we look back and realize that that was the beginning of such a huge change in our life. Absolutely. And you're so right. We we do this every day. We wake up and we imagine our feet are going to touch the floor. We We imagine we're going to go about our jobs. Everything will be the same. You know, we have, we know there'll be small changes as things, happen as we go about our merry way and and absolutely you know I had an appointment for, for the I do remember that I had an appointment to get my hair done then I was going to get my nails done and all of this and my you know I got the phone call from Missy who was the secretary at the school and I was I was I was annoyed I was like oh god now I've got to go and do this you know I do remember being annoyed about it and mm-hmm. of course that later on comes back to haunt you obviously in many ways um, yet, so off I go to pick him up, and uh, I, I just think it's a it's a it's a headache. And um, yet, they gradually got worse. And actually, even on that first occasion, something happened that uh, kind of it was the first kind of warning sign. And yet, even then, because we get so, like I say, we we trust our lives so much, we take for granted that everything will be the same, and that nothing possibly terrible could ever you know walk into our own lives and so even when oliver had um this really quite horrendous vomiting that occurred we we hadn't even got out you know we had just got out the car i was carrying him into the kitchen and when kind of out of nowhere he started vomiting really violently and i mean it took me completely by surprise and he just couldn't stop and he just looked terrified and i remember after it was done just kind of cleaning him up and saying, oh, it's okay, don't worry, well, you know, I'll lie you down, I'll give you some Tylenol, you'll be fine. And, and I didn't think anything of it because, once again, once he got done being ill, I, I put that kind of niggly little doubt to the back of my mind and just thought, okay, now we're back to normal and got on the phone, rearranged my hair appointment, you know. So, yeah, absolutely, we do this, don't we? I mean, we, we just imagine that nothing is ever going to change. We, we imagine that we're never going to die. We imagine that our partners will always be there. And uh, we do not imagine that something cruel or, or terrifying is ever going to enter our lives. That doesn't happen to us. That happens to everybody else. Yes, and we deny our, our gut feelings, you know, like yes. you write about that you had this feeling from the beginning and that kind of grew uh, even before the diagnosis, that there was something really wrong. Uh, you know, what kind of got me, and, and this happens uh, all the time, um, not necessarily, well, with all kinds of illnesses, where you took him, eventually, you know, when he kept getting sick, you took him to the doctor, 
and um, your family doctor, who, yep. as many pediatricians do, oh, it's nothing, or, or your doctor said it was a food allergy. Yes, that's right. He, he, um, we would later find this out. There are key signs um, that you can look out for with a child that has a brain tumor, and he, whether he just overlooked it, we do not know. Yet he did. He, he, and, and really, t- to be quite honest, which I can say now, further down the road, yet at the time, I remember feeling terribly guilty about this later on, but um, at the time, I was actually grateful to him. I didn't want anything terrible to be going on with my Mm -hmm. son, so I was actually grateful that he put my fears to rest. Do you know what I mean? You know, he said, you know, I think it's just a food allergy. Put him, you know, it's very common, and I I was thinking, yes, I've got lots of friends who have kids that are allergic to peanuts and God knows what else, you know. So I was actually grateful, and I thought, you know, thank goodness, I don't need to worry, and he's going to be fine, and and we'll just go home, and, and everything will be okay. Well... It, it really wasn't because the symptoms continued to grow and, and this feeling I had in my stomach, just it, it was just getting stronger and I just knew. And I was still frightened though. I was still frightened because I didn't want somebody to tell me that my world was about to change. I, I didn't want my son to be sick. Um, but he did misdiagnose him because eventually we did take him to see um, another pediatrician and he knew immediately. Yes, that was in London. And that was in London when we went on vacation because we were living here and in Chicago at the time. And uh, we were taking a vacation to London, which had been planned for some time. And the children were all excited, you know, to be going back home to where they were born. And uh, so it was an exciting time. And yet it was, uh, it turned out to be, that was when, you know, all hell let loose, really. And um, we went to see this pediatrician and he knew almost immediately and he said I'm going to tell you that uh, this child is in danger and uh, we, we were just like we were numb we were numb we had we had no words we we didn't know what was going on and uh, it was just a very shocking confusing unbelievable time and it's it's amazing what you think about in these times too you know what goes through your mind it's ridiculous things you know like well I'm we're supposed to be going home in three weeks time mm-hmm. we can't be doing this you know and uh, so we eventually uh, saw this pediatrician in London who was fabulous, and he said, you know, he, he said, okay, he was very matter-of-fact, which I admired greatly because I really did not want to be, you know, beating around the bush. I really wanted to know what was going on there and then, and let's see what we can do about it. You know, you know let's get on with the business. Do you know what I mean? And uh, so he told us and it was very shocking and yet we at that point did not know uh that it was a tumor or anything he just said we i just know that we're going to find something and i want to take your son to um great ormond street children's hospital for an mri immediately and it was so urgent that he he made us go that that very hour and so we were sent there he had his mri and then we went back to the, his office later that afternoon and he told us that he had a tumor and that it was sitting on the brain stem. And they did surgery. It was very, uh, yes, they said that, you know, we need to have surgery done immediately because if we don't, he may, he may die in a couple of weeks. We, this, that is how urgent that it was. His life was at stake and it needed to be removed. So uh, that's what happened. He was scheduled for surgery a few days later. Okay, and we need to take a break, but we will come back to the story at this point. 
My guest is Debbie Tibble. She's the author of a book called All Aboard, How Ali Tibbles Became a Train. And you will uh, find out what that all means. By the end of the show, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacey Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacey's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today, sharing, having my guest share what the world needs now, a heartwarming story. She is Debbie Tibbles, and her heartwarming story that we've just begun taking a ride on is called All Aboard, How Ali Tibbles Became a Train. And we left um, your story where you were in London, mm-hmm. about to have uh, your son. He was five years old at the time, right? Yes, that's right, yeah. And uh, about to have uh, brain surgery. Um, yeah. So go ahead. Yes, quite something. Uh, we had so we were given the uh, the news that he had a tumor. At this time, we did not know whether it was benign or malignant. Just that it was uh, the size of a golf ball sitting on the brainstem, 
and that it had to be removed urgently. Otherwise, you know, his, I mean, his life was at stake. So he was rushed in. He had the surgery. We were told by the, uh, you know, by the surgeons and the doctors that to, ex- to, to expect certain things, that when he came out of surgery, that, you know, he would definitely be going through some major, major changes. Obviously, with such, you know, s- surgery of that type, he would have to learn to walk again and do all these all these kind of things, and you don't really uh, take that all in until literally that moment is upon you. And you know, we were frightened for our child, getting him in there and hoping he would survive the surgery. And then we were still just in this big, uh, you know, this roller coaster of emotions of understanding what the, just what the heck was happening. You know, what was going on? We just couldn't believe we were in there. It was like we were in this kind of a dream, really, but it wasn't a dream. It was just a it was it was a nightmare, and uh, so so Ollie had his surgery, and uh, he came around, and he was. I'm, I I say to people now when they ask me, you know, when when Ollie went in to have his surgery, you know, I, I, it was like I lost a piece of him because this child that awoke from the surgery was a child that I I did not know. He was uh, very angry. Un, you know, kind of um, in a way that was unrealistic and almost inhuman in that he was incredibly angry and in pain, obviously, even though they had medication. He had to relearn to do everything. And he had this incredible sadness that was just soul-destroying as his mother to watch because there was nothing I could do to console him. So it was a very challenging time for the whole family, for myself or my husband at the time, for Oliver's um, siblings and the whole family, my friends. We had to obviously let everybody know what was going on. And that was the next step when we finally knew they did a biopsy and they discovered that the tumor was malignant. And when that news was given to us, I was just completely shattered. My whole world was just, I felt was slipping away and I, I just couldn't believe the words that I was hearing that... Um, you know, they talk about a 13, 12 to 13% chance of survival. And initially when I heard those statistics, I was just, you know, my child is not going to die. I'm not going to let it happen. You know, maybe I'm just being a stubborn bitch, but that's just not going to happen to my child. You know, you stand up and you, you will do anything to defend your child as a parent. And I refuse to let this tumor take him away. And, uh, now so this was, was amazing. the surgery was how many um, months from the, the how many months were there between his first headache where you were called to school and uh-huh. this surgery? I would say it was about four months. So and this did, is very typical. Yeah, it's very did, late. Did it ever occur to you? I mean, I'm sure it occurred to you, but why didn't you uh, sue the? pediatrician who kept who kept saying that no you don't need an MRI when this first happened well first well initially because we were so caught up you know it never occurred to me to even do that because I actually felt I I felt I felt sorry for him at the end of the day I felt bad for him that he had um, misdiagnosed our son I, I didn't I I knew how, especially when he knew the the official diagnosis that Ollie was going to die eventually, 
Uh, I he um, he was affected terribly by it, mm. and I just could not and would not put him through any more. And in fact, he ended up uh, leaving the practice and going somewhere else. Huh. And uh, I didn't know that somebody told me that later on, and uh, it was just not something that entered my head because mm-hmm. I knew that it must be, you know, as a human being to know that 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 happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would just be um, a terrible thing to have to think about, and I just didn't want to do that. Never okay. entered my head. Mm-mm. So we we went about and you know we had we had his surgery done and he came out and this new child emerged, a child that I hadn't hadn't seen before. You know, Ollie was always this. We used to call him the and we and we still do actually between between us. You know, I still call him my cheeky little monkey. You know how you have these pet names for your children, mm-hmm. and this one f- suited him just perfectly because he was such a saucy little boy and so full of fun and life and laughter and love and he was a a very kind 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 um little boy and everybody would say that about him was one of his um traits that people would recognize uh very much in him that he was a very kind a kind child and always caring of other people so then you went back to the states and and began mm -hmm. the years of uh, of chemotherapy and radiation and trips to yeah. the hospital and infections and you did fortunately you were referred to a wonderful doctor in Chicago who who did um, do a marvelous job of prolonging his life. Why don't you tell yeah. us about that? He did. Uh, while Dr. Stuart Goldman, who is the um, he's he was uh, Oliver's doctor and an oncologist and he's also a scientist and does much for research. And he works at Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago. And yes, our neurosurgeon in London recommended him. And so we went back and began care with Dr. Stu, as we all know him. And I knew him as Stu. And to the kids, he's known as Dr. Stu. And he has his reputation, if you can imagine. Um, he's, I call him, I refer to him as the clown in a white coat. Because Stu has that, um, he has that wonderful, he's, a, he's just a wonderful human being. He takes these children and he's almost like the Pied Piper. You know, he takes their hands and he leads them through what is often a minefield of emotions and and an often frightening world for children when they're undergoing these therapies that most adults couldn't even imagine that they have to endure. Um, and he he literally takes them by the hand and and he's like the Pied Piper and they follow him, you know. And and he's he's a, he falls around. He he's always telling these ridiculous horrible, stupid jokes that don't make sense, but the kids laugh. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's got kind of a reputation for that. And he told me when we had our first meeting, he said, I will do the best for you. I will do my very best. And the one thing I will guarantee is that um, he will be a kid again. And I'm just getting emotional thinking about that because, um, you know, the therapies render these children into such a situation where they um, uh, it's very difficult for them to do the normal things kids do and I'm not talking about jumping into swimming pools or going you know horse riding or bicycle they they find it difficult to color a picture that's how bad that the therapist can render these children their immune system is such that they there's very little they can do Yes, and and Ollie, I mean, one of the amazing things that you talk about is um, that he would go to such, to being near the brink of death 
and yet go back to being able to go to school. Or yep. you started talking about the pool. Um, the last summer he was able to dive and do a cannonball. And this is a child who just, just briefly before was lying at the brink of death. It was an amazing roller coaster, and we unfortunately have to take another break. My guest is Debbie Tibbles. Her book is called All Aboard, How Ollie Tibbles Became a Train. You'll find out why that is or how that came about when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darlings, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today. 
sharing with you, having my uh, guest share with you a heartwarming story because what the world needs now is a heartwarming story or one for every day of the year, actually. Um, my guest, Debbie Tibbles, is talking about her son, Ollie, the book that she wrote, um, His Life and Death Inspired This Book. It was, it's called All Aboard, How Ollie Tibbles Became a Train. Um, one of the things that, that we were just talking during the break that um, we'd both like to get across, and it's, it's a little difficult in a radio interview because, because there were so many words that describe this um, at various points in in Ollie's ups and downs, as we've been talking about being at the brink of death and then um, doing a dive the next minute and just going up and down and going to school and having a headache and you know even after he was in treatment with chemotherapy and radiation the 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 hope you know it's it seemed like he was going to be okay he was going to survive this and then something would happen where that hope totally became shattered. And um, the, what what kept me riveted, of course, the story. But what kept me riveted was more than the story. It was um, the idea of, of of how Debbie and and Ollie actually and the whole family, because of his, you know, the the specter of death was lurking in the shadows ever since the diagnosis. Um, it made them appreciate life, every little aspect of life, so much more than they would have had this not happened. So appreciate each other more, become closer as a family. Um, you know, of course, there were other parts of this, the stress of this, that made it difficult on the family, too, of course. But just appreciating those moments of sharing love and appreciating um friends and appreciating uh, just things in life that all of us don't pay any attention to because we figure it's going to be there tomorrow, too. Yes. And, um, you know, of course, that was his gift to you that, um, of course, this was a tragedy, but it was also an incredible gift that has allowed um, you and the rest of your family to to go on in life with uh, so much a much greater appreciation of every moment and every every gift that the universe provides instead of just thinking oh well you know um <laughs> you know I'm doing well like what I was saying at the beginning of the show my to-do list I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do this I can't spend time reading a profound book right mm-hmm. um as you <laughs> well you know so that, I mean, that was really yeah. that was really the most riveting part well, and you know, Ollie's to-do list every day, if if ever he were to have one, was that he would never have a to-do list. <laughs> every day there was a lesson that he gave to me, to his brother and his sister, and to his dad and to everybody who knew him. And the the, the lessons that he taught us were to um, were really were really the simple things in life that I think in in our fast in this fast-paced world. We've become so uh, computerized, we've become materialized and um, dehumanized. Mm-hmm. And with Ollie, the lesson that he gave us all every day in, in a single moment would be about love. It would be about kindness. It would be to see how the sun shone in the morning against the water. He would, he would smile at strangers. He would see the beauty in everything. He took great joy 
uh, being wrapped in his blanket, even though he was unable to walk and I had to carry him to the swing, he would take great joy in that moment. And when you are humbly given that moment to you through the eyes of a child, uh, so innocent, never complaining, it, it, it's, a, it's a humbling experience, absolutely, and, and it allows you to have your own eyes opened. My eyes were opened every day. It, every day was a gift. There were days when I you know, did not want the day to end because it was the time was drawing near, and yet each time I was also grateful because I had shared a beautiful moment with my son, and he passes on. He passes on to everybody who knew him. The magic that occurred... Um, there were so many things, as you say, so many profound moments that happened that changed our lives and have changed other people's lives who become a part of this journey. They witness this this, this light that, that opens their eyes to the things that are truly important in our lives, that it doesn't matter how big the car is. It doesn't, the house doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. Even though those things obviously we need, we have got to pay our bills, Yet what really matters is the human connection. And the, the light and the innocence of our children, I think sometimes as parents or as adults, we fail to see because we think we know it all. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we ever know it all. Um, with Ollie, he opened my eyes to a degree on, in, in other levels too, in, in that when he first told me that he wanted to be a train, and I laughed at him, if you remember, you know, earlier on, mm-hmm. you know, Oliver loved trains. And one one of the other the other things that happened during his illness, which which uh, um, was that we were introduced to the Make a Wish Foundation, and Oliver was granted a wish, and so we had all of that organized, and we were told that um, you know he could have whatever he wanted, and so of course we were not surprised when he said he wanted to be a train driver, made absolutely you know made absolute perfect sense, so that was all organized. And so, um, you know, Oliver got to have his wish. He got to be a train driver. And this was just this was just like a couple of weeks, you know, after he was very close to death. And yet he was able to, you know, t- uh, take on board this, you know, he got on board the Metro passenger train at Union Station in Chicago. And he rode that train all the way or drove the train. You know, he was the engineer for the day. And it was marvelous. It was a fantastic experience. And you know, he, I, he was just the happiest I'd ever seen him. And so we had that day, and it was, it was beautiful. And then shortly after that, he was, he was again close to death. And, in fact, it was to, to a point where Stu told us, Dr. Goldman said, you know, I, I'm, I think that you need to prepare yourself. And this time it, it seemed absolutely that this was going to happen, and they did not expect him to survive because he actually went into toxic shock. And... Uh, and yet Ollie being the great fighter that he was, and he wasn't ready to go yet because he had bigger things on his mind. And uh, I know that there were lots of things going on that allowed our child to survive and actually have what I refer to in the book as the summer of love. And as you said earlier, when he, you know, he did again, he got to jump into the pool and do the cannonball, even though he couldn't swim, you know, he had no fear. And we had a wonderful summer with our son, even though we knew that time was passing and it wouldn't be long before he, he, was, he was away from us. And so he got his wish, got to be a train driver. And, 
And, you know, sad, sadly, uh, my son, Ollie, did pass away, and he was seven years old when he passed away. And that was a, uh, well, I don't think there are ever any enough, any words that can truly describe the enormity and the impact of um, of losing him. It's a... Uh, um, there aren't words really to describe it. It's certainly, you think you're prepared for grief, but you're really not prepared for grief. And, yes, uh, even though this had been going on for two years now, he lived mm-hmm. for two years, and yet, I mean, so the death was hanging over you, the idea of it, the possibility, mm-hmm. and yet when it really did come, it was still so hard to believe that it really, because he, especially because he kept he kept managing to survive all these times when he was yeah. so close to death. And, of course, he died in a beautiful way, um, uh, snuggled between you and your husband. Yes. And then, um, not long after, this, you were asked to speak at the Make-A-Wish um, Foundation dinner. That's right. And, actually, what happened, the way, this, uh, the way it all occurred, and here's where the magic, I think, had been going along all the time. I was just unaware of it was that during the time that Oliver, um, during this period of, of immense blackness for myself personally, I just thought my my world was over, even with my other two children. Well, I had, um, I had this moment one night when I was thinking that I was really losing myself completely, and I was actually quite happy to get into that black hole. And uh, a, a voice spoke in my head and... Uh, I actually thought I was going completely balmy and, and, and thinking, what you know, I, I just thought it must be grief or something playing tricks on me or whatever. And yet, no, it was, I did hear a voice and it, and it was my son. And he wasn't talking, he was actually singing to me. And, uh, you know, people might think I'm nuts, but, you know, that's okay. I know what I heard, you know. And so, anyway, Ollie is singing, and he's singing about being a train engine. He's actually singing a song from the li- from the Thomas the Tank Engine series, and uh, the song is uh, about talking about being an engine. Oh yes, it's great to be an engine as you speed along, puff puff puffing along all day. And so he's singing this song, and I'm just loving every beautiful moment. And then he talks to me, and he says, "Mummy, I love you always and forever," which is something he always used to say to me. And he said. And you have to tell them. And so, and I said, tell them what? And I find myself having this conversation, and then he said, you know. And we will know when we come back from this break. <laughs> My guest is Debbie Tibbles. Her book is All Aboard, How Ali Tibbles Became a Train. And we're about to understand how and why. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm a psychiatrist host. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest is Debbie Tibbles. Her story, her book is all aboard how Ali Tibbles became a train. And we're just at that point <laughs> to, to understand what that all means. So continue where you left off. Thank you. Yes, it's uh, so Ali was, um, we, we yeah, Ali had, had, had passed away, and we had gotten the uh, news that uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation had asked if I would uh, speak, and um, I have to say that when they first asked me if I would be the guest speaker, I, I completely was, you know, not, I couldn't believe it, first of all, that anybody would, would even want to ask me to be the guest speaker, and um, and yet they felt that this, this wish that Ollie had, he, his wish, you know, just for just a quick reminder was the uh, you know he got to be a train driver and it was a fantastic day and this was this was um a year before he had passed in the middle of his therapy anyway i had um initially i had said no yet this event occurred when i was you know lost in this grief and and i had this moment where where ollie was talking to me inside my head and he said you have to tell them and i said tell them what and he said you know and I thought, and I, I didn't know what he meant at the time, yet what happened was that I found myself downstairs at the computer, 
and I typed the words all aboard. And I began writing with what was to become this particular book now. But at the time, I just thought I was writing this journal. Anyway, I started sharing this journal with people as I wrote it, and it, it did end up in the hands of of the, the Make-A-Wish Foundation with the people that I had connected to there, and they had read the book and, you know, and, and, knew, and basically knew what the whole journey. They rode, the, they rode this journey, all of it. And so I had the phone call, would I be the guest speaker? And at first I said no because I was just terrified of, of standing up in front of all of these people. And then they said to me, well, Deb, you know, there's something that you need to know. And I said, okay, what's that? And they said, well, we, um, we, I have just found out the location of where the ball is going to be held this year. And at the time when they asked me, they didn't know what the location was, Carol. So I said, okay, well, where's it being held? And they said, it's being held at Union Station in Chicago, where Ollie had his wish. And I'm like, oh, my God, you have got to be kidding me. Mm. And so I kind of laughed about it. And I said, well, I will think about it. And and I'll talk it over with my family. And then um, they said to me, well, there's something else that you also need to know. We've also had the invitation that's going to be going out to all the, um, you know, to all the philanthropists and, and everything else. And, and it says across the invitation, this is the template, and it says, all aboard for the Make-A-Wish Foundation Grand Ball. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm like, okay. I'm looking up and I'm thinking, all right, I guess you win, you cheeky little monkey. I guess I'm going to be the speaker. So um, I agreed and, you know, these, all these lengthy plans are made and everything else and the speech had to be viewed. I had to prepare it very carefully, all of these things. And the day, uh, you know, we, we're, we're getting ready for the day and, and it's a very exciting, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge event actually in Chicago. It's one of the major uh, charity events of the year and there's a lot of people that attend, there's celebrities, the media is there and all of that, which did not help me one bit because I was such a nervous wreck. My hands were sweaty, you know, face all shiny, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I hope I don't mess it up. And So I am standing there, and I'm listening to the introduction, and my name is called, and I walk up onto the stage, and I'm, I'm hoping I don't fall, you know, and make a complete fool of myself, and so I go up there and I say to my, I kind of say a silent prayer to Ollie and I just say, okay, baby, mate, you know, please let me do proud. I want to do proud by you. And so I, I give my speech and um, it was, it was uh, you know, a, one, a wonderful experience, I have to say. I was nervous. And actually, I never did read that damn speech. I, I mean, I looked at it, but at the end of the day, I, I just really just shared about my son and, the impact of the wish and how it's inspired a lot of people and, you know, this, this little boy that has touched so many people's hearts. Okay, and, 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 and so um, then the chairman of Metro Railways stood up, thanked me for the speech and then said, okay, Debbie, we have a surprise for you and your family. We came to understand of Ollie's true wish, which was to actually be a train. And it is with great pride today that we will honor that wish. And for the first time in rail history, uh, your son will bear 
his name upon engine 401, which is standing on the railway tracks of number three. And they had these huge, um, these huge Miramax screens, which I remember he said, if you turn around, you'll look behind you. And these drapes fell down. I'm not kidding you. These drapes fell down. And, um, I mean, the audience, like, gasped. And there was this fantastic, fantastic locomotive, brand-new engine, like somebody had just taken it out of a toy box Hmm. and put it on the tracks, you know. It was so shiny and new. And it had written on both sides, Oliver Ollie Tibbles. Oh, well. Mm Mm-hmm. He got to be a train like he said he would. You know, it really, I mean, of course it's... uh... <laughs> There's like no other moment like that. Uh, I, I mean, it's 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 my t- spine is still tingling, and I read it already. <laughs> um, I mean, I knew what it, what, the, what the end of the story was, yeah. but you know, it, it, so it really makes you. It, it just proves, and and we if we paid attention to these things, we'd all see these miracles in our own lives. Um, right. That that little children are born. We're all born with mm-hmm. this sense of of who we are and who we're going to be or who we were meant to be. I mean, yes. unfortunately, life gets in the way of so many of us, and we we mm-hmm. we we give up our dreams. But yes. um, when we're born, we really do have a sense of why we were put into this universe. And and that little four-year-old boy, you know, even though I'm sure, he, obviously, he couldn't, he didn't know what cancer was, and he couldn't, and death even, and so he couldn't have explained how he was going to become a train, but well, but he had this strong sense. Yes, he did, and you know, it's just amazing, and you know, it's right when we were talking in the break there about people who give up on their dreams. And, you know, it's like as parents, I can never fathom why some parents would want to tell their children not to believe in, you know, in Santa Claus or, you know, to squash that dream. I mean, the most beautiful thing about children is that they do believe. And I think there's a child in all of us, Carol. And I think what happens is, is as you say, life interferes and we lose that child. We need to get that back. Absolutely, and I, since we're, we've run out of time, I want to make sure that people uh, hear the name again and, and can go, I guess, to Amazon and Barnes & Noble online and so on and buy it. Um, again, the name of the book is called All Aboard, How Ali Tibbles Became a Train, and your um, website is debbytibbles.com, and let me spell that, D-E-B-I-T-I-B-B-L-E-S, D-I-B-I. I'm sorry, D-E-B-I, yes, that's I'm not, right. I'll learn how to spell. Okay, D-E-B-I, Debbie. Yes, that's right. When? And they can find me on Facebook, too. Yes. They want okay. to connect with me there. Okay, and Facebook as well, yes. And uh, that's a great idea so that you can write comments to Debbie about uh, how you relate to the story and how it's made you think about the moments in life that you kind of overlook because you think there are going to be so many more. Thank you so much for being a guest on, on the show and, and for inspiring people, um, I mean, in so many different ways. And, of course, this also speaks to the Make-A-Wish Foundation and how wonderful, um, you know, how, what this does for a child, how, how important this is for a child. So thank you very much. Again, it's DebbieTibbles.com or Debbie Tibbles on Facebook, uh, D-E-B-I. Tibbles.com, or as I said on Facebook. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, 
And uh, don't let your dreams die. That would be the motto of the day. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.